Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Go back to the doll queue Please don't tell Pete from the pub Because he'll judge me But I don't mind I've been paying my taxes 
some time I'm not central, not essential I've never worked for the NHS Yeah, I've clapped hands and I beat pants Put away the kitchen utensils now Don't let your P45 give you chills Because we need jobs, we need 101 part-time jobs Alright, you're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs with me, Giles Bidder, and I speak to bands and artists about how they prioritise their music, how they've been able to make it the most important thing in their lives. On today's episode, we've got a band who has had a lot of excitement about. They've been bubbling under the surface for a couple of years, since around COVID, where Ian Shelton, who was used to being in Regional Justice Centre, started his own thing, Military Gum. After a couple of EPs and tracks here and there, they're about to release their debut album, Life Under The Gun, which comes out next Friday. It sounds really fun. It's got a real nice mix of post-hardcore, punk rock, hardcore, you know, who really cares? It seems a bit crude to put a label on it. It suits one and all of those things. And, you know, it's got some good melodies. It's any indie rock heads are going to like it as well, I think. Yeah, really dig it. There's a good energy to Ian Shelton's voice. And he's got a big, oh, when he does it live. Oh, which I appreciate. I like that. Cheers for listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs, supported by 2000 Trees, which is a great independent festival here in the UK. It's in Cheltenham to the start of July. Cheltenham is just a few hours away from London on the train, by the way. 5th to the 8th of July, so just around the corner now. And the lineup is killer. Soft Play, formerly known as Slaves, Bullet For My Valentine, and Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes are headlining. And then we got Rival Schools, Bob Villain, The Bronx, Empire State Bastard, Joyce Manor, Crows, Kneecap, Sprints, The Chisel, Hi-Viz, and Chubby and the Gang, which is obviously a killer trio. Yep, 2000 Trees this year is gonna be a good one. If you wanna head, but you haven't got your tickets yet, you can use the voucher code at 101pod to get a straight 20 quid off. That's a score you can use for anything you want, really. 2000trees.co.uk. Head there, get your tickets, and come see the live 101 on the Friday morning. All right, here's Ian Shelton from Military Gun here on 101 Part-Time Jobs. Look, I started this show a couple of years ago because like so many people that got inspired by rock music, punk rock, you know, stuff, bands that are just doing their their own thing, you know, and tour dates and just being teenagers and seeing older siblings do it and just being like, fuck yeah, I have to do that. I'm compelled to do that. Um, you know, that, that like, that's a pretty, that's the start of a sometimes treacherous life in terms of prioritizing that stuff, you know, and when I was on tour a lot in my twenties, I'd come home and just feels pretty lost. And I, 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 was, I was pretty awful at articulating it then. I'm probably a little bit better at articulating it now. Just that kind of what it does to your identity. And so I just got really inspired to start, start interviewing bands and artists about about how not not just like how they do it, but like their mindset of it. Right? You know, when I was younger, I discovered build uh, book your own fucking life and that was a big inspiration because it was like oh this is like a resource that people are sharing about this one thing that connects us that we all love 
And, you know, I think the stri- thing that strikes me now, you know, I'm 32 and it strikes me more now than ever. And I'm sort of inspired by all this shit now more than ever is the way that different people approach it. Everyone's got a different story. Everyone's coming from a different place and has different, have different experiences along those way, along their way to, to figure out how they do it. Because there's no real, there's no real path, is there? There's no real route to trying to figure out what you're doing. I guess, you know, you're, you're growing in public, right? What does that, when, when I say all that shit, what does that make you think of? I mean, it just makes me think of the the sprawling journey to the to right now. You know, like I went on my first tour at seventeen years old, and um, basically live have lived my life in accordance to the concept of the next time I go on tour, like ever since then. And then the only time that that was ever broken up was the pandemic. I only ever have worked jobs that I can quit or leave because I needed to go on tour and I kept saying I'd go back to call I'd go to community college and and do all these things but then there was a tour so I never ever went back you know so it's this uh I mean yeah just it definitely there's no singular path through all this from what I can tell did you get pretty good at the white lie of going to those job interviews and being like, yeah, you know, I'm here for the full, I'm here for the full ride, baby. I'm here. No, because I, I, the thing was, I never was willing to lie. So I I was like, I, I usually got in via friends at wherever I, I, I worked. Like I was a truck driver for my friend's dad, dad's company when I was freaking 18. And then I went into screen printing and then into a different screen printing job. Then I did video for city council meetings. So it's just like these very weird. And before that, I was a house painter. So it was like, it you know, it's it's whatever it took to do the shitty two week tour that, you know, easily could have done something else with my life. But for some reason, <laughs> I was obsessed with that instead. I can see you as a house painter. I can see you in some like dad Levi's a bit of paint bit of white paint going down your side going for it you know having a cup of tea going for a, going for a lager beer afterwards I can see you doing that I I, I maybe I maybe I should quit and uh and go back you know <laughs> hey screen printing's a, a classic one right because screen printers if your friends and your peers are playing music there's that you know, like being a music producer, there's always going to be a need for merch. Definitely. And, and the, the the thing that we did at the time was Macklemore. Like we were the screen printing shop for Macklemore and for um, Fucked, uh, F-U-C-T, the streetwear company. So right. it was uh, a very odd thing. And it was like this weird thing where like kind of celebrities would be coming in just to hang out in the screen printing shop. Like really random I feel like everything that I've done has been just so random like that. So, are you pretty good in the workplace? Do you think? Are you polite? Are you nice? Have you got patient for fools? Uh, I work. I, I yes, yes. I'm patient as shit. I, <laughs> uh, you know, I I started, you know, working really young. In that, I just was very motivated to get CDs and and all these other things. So I was going to neighbors' houses just with a lawnmower you know, knocking on strangers doors when I was really young. So you're an entrepreneur. Yeah. It was the type of thing where, you know, I just, I kind of had a sense of professionalism from a young age because I figured I had to like entice people I didn't know. And now thinking back on it, I'm like, Oh, that's like the best experience ever of like, 
my my life is centered on meeting strangers for the most part. So, you know, it's like when you do that and you get used to the hustle or whatever word you want to call it, you know, the basically cold calling, the going up to people, introducing yourself, asking them if they want their service. I mean, that is basically booking tours, right? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think about there's, there's two things that I think would be essential to uh, learning to book a tour, which was knocking on, you know, cold calling people. And the other was back in when you used to have to call people's houses and talk to their parents before you talk to your friend, you know, you're like, I, the parents would always kind of remark on how polite I was. They'd be like, Oh wow. Uh, Okay. You know, like, (laughs) and so those processes of like the nervousness of, of dialing the, the the new friend's number and then having to talk to their parents for the first time and all these things, like uh, it sets you up for when, you know, at the time MySpace was, was how I booked my first tours and, you know, it was, Hey, hello. I'm, you know, like the, the introductory thing, which always felt awkward, but I've, you know, I, I had experience in. I write emails a lot. I was a journalist, a written journalist before this. And now I'm asking guests like you to come onto this. And, you know, writing an email, it's a bit of a, you know, it, there's only one way to do, a, to do a good email and that's to be polite. You know, and I don't care how many exclamation marks there are. I don't care if there's full stop. You can be very polite in the first line of an email. Definitely. I mean, I hate when people are, are short on email and um you're not a you fan know. of booking agents then i uh, i'm never on the booking <laughs> agent emails these days so i don't know but i definitely i definitely have cr- critiqued uh our our some business people you know because i'm like yeah. hey come on we, we could we could throw a couple more words in the email here hey that's a good point you know i was gonna ask you something akin to this later but when you know military gun and regional justice center before when you when you're when you're working with different people you know friends or people you've just met when you're working with other people you know there's there's always going to be an element that they're going to represent you you know because they're going to be speaking to people on behalf of you is that something that you've had a bit of a journey with you know i've been in i've been experienced in experiences when i've been like i cannot believe that guy that we work with spoke to you like that and now i'm not implying that that happens this happened to you but but you know there there's there's considerations to be taken there right there is. I mean, ultimately, as far as on the business side of music is just first and foremost, it's like, do I think somebody understands what we're going for? And and like and there definitely is the question of like, does does this person accurately represent me yeah. outside of me being in the room? Um, obviously, you're never there. You just have to trust. I mean, that that's it yeah. is it's the trust element, which hopefully I've done a a good job of trusting the right people. I believe I have. I truly care about the people on our team, you know. And the big thing was I was DIY for so long. Like, it, it, the thing is, like, I started booking tours when I was 17, and I booked every tour I did up until 2021. And um, because of that and i booked shows for other bands and i did have booked tours for for bands that i wasn't even in like so i served as basically a fake agent for artists that um that didn't have agents and that i just was like i want to help you get on tour and because of that like i've never really had the diy punk hang up i because i'm like i've proven (laughs) i've proven my shit you know like it, it 
I'm still DIY regardless of how much I actually have to do myself at the, cause I just got, I can I come from it. I, I bled it for so long and, um, there's people who are better at doing it than I am. Like, that's the thing is I think a lot of people struggle with the concept of doing things just because, or, you know, just wanting control. And, uh, there's times when you should step back and admit that, other people are better at doing things than you are. I've got sort of two things that spring to mind with that. The first one was when I was, I realized that punks could be pricks too. Cause up until that time I was like, ah, oh, all punk rockers are my friends. You know, mm-hmm. I must've been about 14, 15 and they used to put on some sound systems in Finsbury park and some, you know, great crust bands that are still going today, you know, like Conflict and Inner Terrestrials, some ska punk stuff. There's some great sort of crusty ska punk in London. It's all in the same world, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was wearing like a No Effects t-shirt and some guy came up to me and gave me, you know, I was very young, pretty scared, gave me lots of shit for wearing a No Effects t-shirt. You know, I had the exact same thing happen. I'm not even kidding you. And I turned, he, he walked away and I turned around. And I said to my friend, like, ah, oh, this is, this sucks. I turned around, I saw him, the back of his, uh, a denim jacket he had a no effects patch on <laughs> i was like ah oh. another time i got i got shaken down by someone wearing an, an operation ivy energy cap they shook me they shook me down for like the coins that my mum had given me for soda waters at the gig jesus yeah and it, it, i mean it's the type of thing where I think punk oftentimes actually just somewhat mimics the high school microcosm and, and, and it's, it's people who were picked on that then go on to pick on others. And, you know, the streak of pretentiousness in, in punk of people who discovered wide eye and then made it their entire identity is like the corniest shit on earth. So it's, um, I don't know. I, these people are not my friends because we like the same bands. Right. I mean, that's it. And there's that. I'm not like hating on punk. It's just like people are people, you know, you can be into it. You can have a shared, you can have a shared interest, but you you know, everyone's, everyone's different, you know? Yeah, definitely. Uh, The thing, the thought that really got me there as well was, you know, talking about booking agents. I was really into Scar Punk and Streetlight Manifesto and Catch 22 and was like fascinated by the way the bassist had his own booking agency. And so not only could you be in a band and book your own tours, but you could be in another band, but someone in your family, you know, in, in that sort of that close knit friendship group thing, they could book your tours, you know, someone you could work with could be your buddy as well. That was a big thing for me. I was, I was from a really small town, you know, that thing, I wasn't friends with the cool kids at that time. You know, it was, it was before all that. Definitely. I mean, and that's what, is so cool about the DIY ethos of all this is that, you know, without that, I don't think I ever would have went on to direct music videos for bands and, and, um, again, and started, you know, I've, I've worked on, you know, three DIY record labels through over time. And, um, without it being like, Oh, fat Mike owns fat records. Yeah. And and a guy from Bad Religion runs Epitaph and like all these things it, you you learn that like the enterprising nature of everything of you know when when I think you're not to say that other people aren't aren't truly punk if they don't create a business lifestyle out of it but you know mm. it's the type of thing where when you're passionate enough about it you figure out how to make it so you don't have to do anything else and um, that is one of the cooler aspects of of DIY and punk. 
What were you brought up like that? You know, you're talking about cold calling and mowing people's lawns and, you know, really getting stuck in, not being work shy. Were you brought up that way? What was your attitude from the people around you when you were when you were growing up? How were you made to feel and what came naturally and what got instilled in you, do you think? I don't know exactly where it came from or like who gave me the idea to go door to door cold calling people. My Nana was a really, really hardworking person. She was from London and and uh, a lot of her family died in the bombing raids and then she moved to the States and she started companies. You know, she, she moved here as a single mother and just like started bossing shit down, you know? And, um, and so I, you know, she, she was a huge part in, in raising me. And I think just like labor, you know, like I would go out and, do the weeds with her. And, and she also taught me about writing, you know, she, she wrote children's stories for me. I was the sole audience member for that. Yes. So not only that, I learned creativity from her and I learned about labor, you know, which is like yeah. the two, which is what I've built my entire life yeah. on, you know? Um, and so I just think that, you know, seeing it, witnessing hard work and witnessing creativity, like, gave me the the tools to just luckily i chose to interpret it and try to do it myself you know do you feel at peace with your balance of all that stuff now you know there's there's tons of things that must be flying around your head on a day-to-day basis you know the next tour the next record the next people that you're working with emails flying up your ass all day long where are you at with, with all that stuff now do you live a kind of balanced life no, not at all. Uh, not at, not even in the slightest. Uh, I mean, right now, currently, I am at the studio producing a record for somebody else, and nice. I'm I'm anxiously awaiting good news or bad news via text about a tour that I'm very excited about and praying happens. Uh, you know, yeah. it's just like, it's it 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 is kind of this like crawling under my skin feeling at all times for the most part of just like wanting the next thing wanting to you know i just wanted to keep going and um you know we released a song yesterday and so obviously i was obsessively checking my phone over that it's it's not a it's not a healthy balance at all i definitely have figured out clocking out a little bit better which is actually partially just me getting high and then being really afraid to check my phone because the worst thing ever is getting like a work email on you because my my brain works in a way it's like i need to respond right now yeah but then i'm like no i'm on i'm high i shouldn't respond (laughs) and and then like uh and then i'm really afraid of my response it's just like this really it's that's the only way is like i'm i'm like literally so afraid to look at my phone and that's when i clock out do you often do that thing where you look back at the email you sent and you thought, oh, should I not have said that or should have I have added that other bit that I'm thinking? Yeah, always, always. I mean, being on labels with like, being on emails with labels is 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 like the scariest thing because there's like 20 people on the goddamn email <laughs> and you're like, I hope that these people that are forced to deal with me because it's their job, like, I hope that they don't hate me. Do you, do you have that? Like this, this is a pretty direct question. Hey, totally fine if you want to veto and pass it. But I, I go through different stages of coming home from a party or coming home from anywhere and, and just like having this crushing, 
like repeating this scenario of a conversation I had where I may or may not have sounded like an idiot. Oh, all the time. I mean, but the thing is, the the the, the solace in that and what I try to convince myself and I've listened to other people talk about is what do you think about the most? Yourself. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so the person you spoke to, what are they thinking about? themselves you know and and they might have the same thing where they're like i wish i had responded differently so it's it's trying to shake the shackles of self-awareness is definitely a, a very painful process but you should feel comfortable in knowing that for the most part people are probably only thinking about themselves and not about you at all so it's interesting to think of that schism when you're a when you're an outgoing socially person you know when you're a confident person i'm a confident person i imagine you you can be a confident person in a group. It's imagine it's funny that kind of conflict that you know paradigm of of being confident but also being self aware. That's a funny mix. Yeah, I mean confidence and self awareness kind of run very counter to each other. But especially you add drinking into it, and then you're like you know that little bit of looseness, and you're like oh god damn it, what it you know. I don't, I don't black out, but if ever I did, I don't think I'd ever be able to rebound emotionally from a social interaction (laughs) because I would be like, I just don't know what happened. I don't know. Part-time jobs, 101. Part-time jobs, 101. Part-time jobs, 101. Part-time jobs. You're interesting, right? Because you, you're on Loma Vista, you know, an established label you've got an established team around you and you're a punk band. So you're going to be playing those. You're going to be like on kind of both sides of the water there. You know, you're going to be doing the big festivals and the main stage at early nice afternoon slots. And then you're going to be doing the skate park in South London with concrete culture. I mean, I hope that happens, but you see what I mean? That do you, does it, is that funny trying to like look ahead and trying to leave gaps into the things that happen last minute sometimes? I mean, it's the type of thing where it, it just, what happens happens. And you know, like we're going to go play a generator show in the desert this weekend. And, um, it's really just about bound. Yeah. I don't know. It's what happens happens. It's really, it is, you know, we, we take what's brought to us and, um, try to generate as many cool things of our own. And, uh, you know, sometimes my big, the big thing that I'm concerned about for the future is like when things have to cancel for other things. And like, that's something we haven't had to do yet. And I'm, I'm nervous that those things, they start creeping around and you're like, don't want to piss people off. <laughs> it's, it's a pretty like amazing time now. You know, I was just considering what, you know, the shows that you're doing from with rival schools coming up in the UK and in Europe. And it's, it's great that you have those types of bands you know they're one of a one of a few but you know there there are these punk rock and hardcore bands that are like that have been doing it for 20 years longer and you're like cool this is great this is like this is a sustainable thing to do you know that's 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 like a for me as a fan that's like i want to be 50 and still and going to shows you know because there's definitely yeah. an, a, like an idea that's placed upon you when you're younger that punk and hardcore is a is a is a young person's game you know it's right now is a very cool time i think so i mean when i was coming up i was so sure of the idea that you're completely washed by the time you're 30 you know it was like yeah. no fucking way because at the time there was not the same there was people like walter who 
have, you know, done so many different scales within hardcore, but it was, you know, at the time that I was really developing like the ideology of like, Oh, 30 year washed. It was like, you know, a lot of dudes that fucking played in youth group bands that didn't make records that were worth being a classic. You know what I'm saying? Like Mm -hmm. it was a different, I was thinking of very local shit, you know? And I'm like, yeah, clearly if you're over 30 playing in some hyper local shit, but even then like, that's still cool because that's just them following their passion. It doesn't mean they're, it doesn't mean they're a great artist. It means they're somebody who has passions and, and hobbies and that's dope too. It's just like, uh, yeah, when you're young, you love the hyperbole. And then as you get older, you realize there's not as much, it's not grounded in reality. It's myth, right? I mean, it's funny how funny how age can play such like an impending factor on the way we feel. I kind of burn at 27, like shit hit the fan for me when I was 27. And in the same year, you know, within a year, it, it, it turned a new leaf and I felt like fucking born again or some shit. You know, I had a flat that was I could afford just about I was even on I was on the dole. I was on the, you know, government support that that was like a good thing you know i was like this is like i'm i'm standing on my two feet here you know i like i feel okay i am myself right now this is cool you know it's interesting how i mean i'm 32 now and i feel the younger than i did eight years ago in lots of in lots of ways yeah i mean that was me through the pandemic where i just assumed you know a lot of things were either winding down or whatever in my life and i was gonna move into a new chapter and i eventually i did move into a new chapter with military gun i just didn't anticipate that chapter being music at the time like i just didn't foresee any of this happening so yeah it's the type of thing where you just never count your chickens before they hatch and when you're young again the the you know everything's so much more black and white and you know endings are endings which they never really are and you know it's just like you, you grow up and see the world yeah. so differently and, and it still changes constantly. You know what? I, I, you know, bringing it back to the, the fucking namesake here, 101 part-time jobs, but it's like work plays such an identifying factor in all of our lives. You know, the first thing you used to do when you meet someone new, you know, at a party, your friend of a friend, it's going to come up pretty quickly. You know, what do you do? How do you do this? Have you felt pretty good at feeling like and saying, you know, yeah, I'm, I, I do this. This is what I do. I feel self-conscious saying it, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it is a, it is an interesting cause it still is not like completely true, you know, like at the same time there still is side hustle. Like nobody's living off of this full time situation, you know, like we still have to do so many other things to be able to sustain, uh, the touring schedule. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It, it is interesting. I mean, I, I, I lived for such a long time wishing that I could, you know, I, I had the the hang up of the identity of it all of being like, well, this is what I do with like basically 100% of my time. But when someone asks, what do you do? Mm. You know, I'm like, oh, I f- film city council meetings or I'm a truck driver, you know, like, like those answers. Um, I felt more comfortable answering them than like the passion thing because the passion thing seemed like I felt like a loser. I don't know. It was like a weird hang up that I had surrounding it. And it still does kind of feel that way at times where you're just like, you know, you're 
It's a fairy tale. <laughs> I don't know. The, the, the tours that you've been on since you were 17, you must have met so many other people playing in bands with those people, all the other bands that you toured with. Did you like talk about, do you remember talking about this kinds of stuff much? I mean, I never spoke to anyone I was in bands with about this. Now I'm a bit older and on reflection, it's like, nah, that's information sharing. You know, that's like understanding how we can do it best. Well, I was always so curious about like the business side of music, like throughout my entire time. And then I, I made friends with people like Patrick Kinlan from Drug Church and joined Self-Defense Family for a while nice. and kind of was put around a lot of other type of people that were involved in various business elements of music. And um, I always was the big question asker to people. I wasn't I, I wasn't big on like sharing uh, you know, like whatever my ambitions were, because I've always felt like my ambitions sound ludicrous. So I never have been one to try to um, unload them on people that I'm not incredibly close to. Because I think everyone would think that I, I, I just assumed my own perception of, of the way people viewed me throughout all this was I was this really unassuming character. And so now what is happening now is kind of surprising for people. But I just spent the whole time studying basically you've done a slight you've slumdog millionaire that's the goal that's the goal and uh you know it just was i've always just been more more keen on on just asking questions of people who are farther along and more established and and um and then now you know i try to share it with what i've learned with as many people younger or not as far along as myself you know what it seems like such a simple thing, but asking questions is fucking the elixir, right? That's the magic of so much. You know, you want to start a record label? Ask someone how you do it. You having relationship troubles? Ask someone about it. Ask Reddit. You know, like yeah, ask, yeah. just ask because, you know, there's plenty of times that I've been soul searching and I've been just like crushing myself inside. And like, it's like, nah, I think. I think a big part of the answer is going outwards. Now, that's not to say it's easy, but that's life. Definitely. And 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 at one point, you know, I started a podcast with Patrick from Drug Church called I Don't Care If This Ruins My Life. That was literally us talking about the, like, we called it a schemes podcast. It was, like, about ambition and business and art. And we were trying to, like, because I was, like, a, a, a lowly you know, music video director trying to make it further in the film industry. And Patrick wrote comic books. And so we both talked about like what we we're trying to do. And as far as also being in bands and talking about booking agents and all these like different things and trying to share what we were learning and doing with other people. And so it is, uh, yeah, asking quite, and that was, you know, me asking him a lot of questions and trying to figure out the path. Hey, experience has got to be one of the most valuable things. You know, 15 years doing this stuff, that's experience. You can't, some of that stuff, you know, a lot of that stuff, you can't learn anywhere else. You know, no. you found out yourself the hard way or the easy way. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you have the embarrassment of failure, but that's like also the most forward propelling entity there is. Patrick's comic books are so so ace your music videos are rad how 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 deep did you get into making music videos like how how like how how long a time frame was that 
I mean, look, you're probably still thinking about it, right? But like, how deep did you get into it? What was the deepest you got into it? When I well, so I moved to Los Angeles to direct. Like that was my my goal was to to get further in the film industry, and and somehow I accidentally did it with music instead. Um, That's funny. But the um, I mean, I got to a point where I was making music videos between like ten ten thousand dollars and twenty thousand dollars, which is like still fairly low budget but now basically i've just translated that experience into making music videos for military gun and having opinions and and the ability to make something better even if someone else is making it because recently i've been handing off the music videos to other people um because i want to also see my friends see what they can make for for the band you know um and uh i mean the the will logic video is ace yeah our guitar player did that one and that one that one's like you know meant to be it's not like an actual music video but you know he made that all himself and we filmed it on um the ferry that my we filmed me on the ferry from brighton to uh to freaking france because we were just like all right we have a couple hours like let's get this done you look like your hoodie fools very cool there. that's like a gap commercial it is a gap hoodie, so. And the very high video is is ace as well. I mean, I grew up loving One Tree Hill, the OC, that yes. stuff. That's there's that there's millions of us out there that hits. Good. I mean, and that was that was again our our friend Mason Mercer. He he directed that video because we ended up kind of in a time crunch, and I was like, dude, I can't. I'm gonna kill myself if I have to be on tour on in pre production on a music video. Can you step in and help me? And he pitched that idea, and it. I mean, couldn't be more excited about it. Have you done much with skateboarding? Are you interested in skating? So skateboarding is where filmmaking kind of started, which I, I think that's how like a ton of people are. You know, I, I bought a camera to film skateboarding originally, and then I started kind of making like silly videos. I mean, one of the first non-skate videos I made was like Henry Rollins spoken word with me filming my little brothers being weird. You know, like, nice. uh, yeah. And then eventually, you know, like, are you the like, oldest? I am the oldest. Yeah. Yeah. Oldest of three. And, um, yeah. And it just like slowly grew into music video as time went on. And, um, my proudest crossover with skateboarding is we made a music video for super crush, um, called I've been around. And, uh, it was a shot for shot remake of the intro to, uh, goldfish by girl skateboards, which Spike Jones did. And we that. sent it, we sent it to girl just on the Crail Tap uh, customer complaint page. Cause I was just like, Hey, we, we made this thing. Like, please don't make us take it down when it comes out. We're huge fans, like blah, blah, blah. And the next day the art director for girl gets back to me and is like, this is awesome. Like we, uh, it's making the rounds of the office. Like, like, thank you for sending the song's cool. And like two days later, Sam Smythe emails me. He's like, hey, just showed this to Spike and like sent me a quote of what Spike said about it. So that was like... What did he say? What did Spike Jones say? He was... I mean, it was really simple. Just like, oh, they did a great job. Like, like this is this is really awesome. You know, like... Yeah, like five um, words from Spike Jones is worth a fucking... That's that's huge. That's yeah, yeah. unreal. I mean, my, my, my life was made in that moment and it was really cool because I mean, it wasn't my idea to do that music video. It was Mark from super crushes. And like, so it was this cool thing of, of, you know, him being a huge girl skateboards fan and me being a huge spike Jones fan. Yeah. And then like kind of getting this recognition from them and having them be excited about it was, I mean, 
life making at, at that time. I think I was like 25 or 26. It was cool. Spike Jones is an inspiration of like how to, how to be, <laughs> you know, it's just following passion. And that, and that's what I always try to say is, you know, like, I, I don't know where my life and career will take me, but I'm going to go wherever is most passionate, even if it's not making the money or, or you know, those things like I thought that I was going to be directing, but clearly I was more passionate about music and that's how I've ended up here, you know, like, mm -hmm. and I think that seems to be the lifestyle that he has where it's just like, you know, he's going to act in the new Damien Chazelle movie and that's going to be the only thing we're going to see him in for three years because we have no clue what the fuck he's doing. Or he's going to run Viceland for a period of time and executive produce all these shows and like, yeah. I don't know. And and he's a co-owner, a girl. Like, it's just the coolest, coolest life, coolest career. I mean, there's nobody who's done it better than Spike. I mean, where the wild things are, it was years after watching. That was a big film for me and my older brother. We connected a lot about that film, watching that film on the holidays. And I read fairly recently that being, being John Malkovich came about is because he had a connection with someone to John Malkovich and they were in Europe at the same time and Spike took him out for dinner and I, you could just see them over having an Italian pizza and pasta and Spike Jones being like, right, I got this idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's ace. You know, I, music videos are so interesting because they can sometimes make a song not as good as the song is, but they can definitely make a song better. Yeah, I can elevate it, yeah. What's your what's your vibe on that? What's the have you like ruminated about that stuff? Have you been have do you think a lot about that? Definitely. I mean, it's the type of thing where ultimately I go in caring about the band's identity more than my own. And so it's like about serving whatever the song is and trying to elevate it instead of it being about this pretentious like, oh, well, I want it to be this. And I think that it's really easy to get hung up in your own identity and up your own ass specifically as in art where, um, you know, at the end of the day, like I really do view it as you're making a commercial for the song. It, you know, hopefully it is artistic. Hopefully it, it does mean something. But at the end of the day, like you're trying to sell the song to somebody. And, uh, and that's the whole point. It's interesting how, you know, we talked about skateboarding. There's, fashion in skateboarding you know there's supreme there's a look there's there's fashion in everything right even if you're against me and you're wearing all black in circa 2001 that's a fashion right black jeans black t-shirt yeah. black you know I, I find it i find it i've never been much very good uh I've, it doesn't come naturally so much to sort of be well dressed or you know have a good eye for that stuff but it's i do find it fascinating how those things cross over to enhance music or enhance a film enhance a feeling or a sound yeah i mean it's the type of thing where you know you want it to be one end end thing and i think a band like against me it says it all in the name you know dressing in all black is a very anti-social thing to do it's against something it's you know like so it all is all an extension you know I, it's something i ended up thinking about a lot when it came to military gun because it was like oh how do we carve out our own identity among everything else because identity is is really important you know i think specifically at this moment in culture it is a huge part you know like our the whole culture war is being waged on the concept of identity. So the idea that you don't dress a certain way or do a certain thing, um, 
you know, like when clearly everyone is so motivated by the concept of identity and maybe the identity is that you don't dress well or whatever, but it just is whatever you want it to speak to something greater than, than one thing. The first band I think of is the hives. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, like, I mean, I'm thinking like military gun looking like the hives. What, 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 what kind of, do you remember any of the sort of off the scratch list of those ideas? No, I mean, it, well, the thing is, it's just is intuitive. It's just has been intuitive. You know, you follow whatever seems right and not because if you're trying super hard, you might not be doing something genuine. You know, everything takes time. You got to take time to learn to dress because I definitely did not. I was not a good dresser. And, and you know, some people might be listening to this now, but you're not now either. But, <laughs> uh, it, you know, it's the type of thing where, you know, you slowly learn and 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 the way my brain works is I get obsessed with one thing and then I get over it and then I get into something else. So, you know, what I'm in love with one day, I'm going to think is, cor I'm going to think was corny six months from now. So, yeah. You know, I was thinking a lot of bit recently about, you know, people, some people are going to think you're very cool. Some people, some people are going to think that you're a loser. You're an idiot. I mean, that's a pretty interesting thing to come to terms with. Yeah. I mean, I think I lived this huge portion of my life caring what, what, you know, quote unquote, cool guys, cool people that loved more obscure music. And they're like, but you know, like mm. it really worked on me for a long time, like letting more or less de facto losers. And now in my current way of thinking have this oppressive force of like this or that is not it, you know? And, and you're like, why did I, I don't even like you, you know? And like, like what, what is the point of this? You know? And, and that's kind of, I've been talking about it more and more like this kind of anti cool guy stance. Cause I think that, that the mark of cool guy is, is being callous. It is being cold. It is, um, being cynical in a way that is some like really truly anti-art because I don't art can come from a cynical place but I think that really great art comes from the place of like having your heart open and 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 letting something freely flow out of you and I think the the inherent stance of being cool is posturing you know and and um when we came out, my goal was to, I wanted to wear something that I thought looked cool, but I wanted to also dance around and jump around like an idiot and make the audience feel comfortable doing the same and, and being goofy. Because one of the coolest things on earth to me is watching old Fugazi vi in, uh, videos. And yeah. you're like, that shit is goofy. Number one, that shit Those is- DC videos goofy it is so goofy but you know what it is it's fun it's free it's artistic it, it's everything that that you hope to have in the world of music and um fuck these losers that that are just you know again fuck posturing it's not about that it's about i i would so much rather be have this open experience to the world than than you know have such a preconceived notion of x y or z you know like and and to and with that being said like I don't know what people say our band sounds like anymore, but it's like, I used to have this like really damning view of pop punk. And now a lot of these people who like our band are these people who love these other pop punk bands. I'm like, well, clearly we, I have more commonality with it than I ever thought I did. And, um, I don't know. Fuck it. Let it ride. That's all it is. You know? 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But I, I like to kind of end these or round these off with a good work fail story. Oh, I got the best straight away. Well, I, it, when I when I saw the the podcast title, I was like, finally, I think this is going to be somewhere for me to talk about my my years of truck driving, which yeah, I'll say were the best thing ever for me because one, I worked with a very cool coworker who plays in a band called Sunspots. He used to be a band called Criminal Code, and he showed me so much incredible music. And at the same time, he showed me things like J church at the same time as he showed me PIL and Harry pussy and fucking Jesus lizard, you know, like, like, and so it was this, and then he would make me mixtapes and I'd listen to those in the work trucks. And then my whole life was listening to music in work trucks. Um, but biggest fail came from the fact I, so I drove 26,000 pound, trucks delivering um ladders and fencing to home depots and uh we used to have to do all sorts of crazy illegal shit straight up it was i was 18 years old when i had this job straight up not a job for an 18 year old what kind of illegal stuff it was just uh overweight trucks driving through the middle of the night so the scales would be closed oh you're not supposed to uh drive so many hours in a day right Definitely that as well, which, but we didn't even keep driving logs. Like we did everything in a way to, as to avoid the law, um, which worked some miraculously worked. Um, okay. So I didn't know how to drive stick shift cause I was an 18 year old, never drove stick shift was put into a 26,000 pound truck and was taught stick shift for 30 minutes and then told go. So my life for a couple weeks was absolute and utter terror because it was me, like me crying at intersections, stalling the truck, you know, like just feeling so incompetent and so stupid. So one day I had this delivery in North Seattle and I realized I've passed, I'm going the wrong way because this is also pre-GPS. So I used to text Google like uh, five six six like five whatever it was like and i would just say directions from and i would just look at the address i was at or the cross streets i was at and to the to the location i had on my paperwork and so i would just be looking at my old brick of a phone for the directions as i'm driving a twenty six thousand pound truck stick shift through north seattle like it was absolute hell i was so terrified 24 uh-huh. 7 and i uh, realized i'm going the wrong way so i'm like all right i'm gonna turn around what I was not very aware of at the time was clearances as far head as clearances. head clearance. I was not aware of the concept of head clearance. Um, I surely was, it was mentioned, 
in the training. <laughs> but it's the type of thing you're just not thinking about when you drive a go-kart Honda Civic around most of the time. There's enough to be thinking about. And I'm barely struggling through driving stick shift. The yeah. other part of this was I really needed to pee at the time. So I had my pants on just fully undone. I go and I turn around and I pull into a gas station and I just, the car, the truck slams to a halt because I hit the clearance. I wedge myself under a gas station awning. <laughs> hey, that's a tough awning. Well, and the lucky thing was that I wedged myself under it instead of just hitting it. So I didn't damage the truck at all. Right. I just wedged myself under it. I've definitely fucked up the awning. And if I just like, <laughs> if I was better at driving stick shift, because what I thought I did was I thought I stalled it as I went funk, uh, and just yeah. <laughs> like, I thought it was a stall, but then I was like, no, wait, the engine's still running. What's happening? What's happening right now? And then, you know, this, the, the gas station's owner has come out and he's screaming at me. He is screaming at me. And so I get out of the truck. My pants are undone and I forget that. So I, and then I look and at the edge of the parking lot, there is a, there's a, like a barista stand. And I see like the cute barista girl, like filming me on her cell phone. And I'm like doing up my pants as I've wedged myself under a goddamn gas station awning. The guy is screaming at me and so what I end up doing is I let the air out of my tires to to back up. And so that's genius. Luckily it worked and I I mean the the scariest thing would have been if I just did it and like brought the awning off and it fell on somebody. Like it's very possible I could have killed someone in that moment. Um and so the gas station owner so I get it out and he's like the cop let's get the cops here blah blah blah. And, um, I give him all the paperwork and then he fills out a, a little, he, on binder paper, he, he, he has a thing. He says, it is written out. It says, I admit this was my fault <laughs> with a signature line. And I go, no, I'm not signing that. I'm 18 years old, but I know for a fact you do not admit fault. That's smart that you didn't crumble under pressure there. And he's like, all right, I'm calling the cops. And I was like, okay. And so I'm just buying snacks from him, like waiting for the cops to show up. And I'd already, I mean, I did my due diligence. I gave him my ID, gave him the insurance for the company and everything. And the cops came and was like, nah, he, he's good to go. And then- uh, Yeah, it's insurance, right? Yeah, it's insurance. I mean, and yeah, for insurance purposes, you never admit fault. So it's kind of a fucked up part about reality because I've clearly was at fault. But- um, I would say uh, that's my biggest uh, workplace fail. That's a good one. I mean, it sounds like you took that with like a bit of confidence there. No, I mean, I felt, I mean, it's my friend's dad's company. It was probably my first like two or three months working there. Like I was like, I'm fired. I'm fired. And the worst part was I lived with his son. So I was like, I'm, his dad is going to fire me. I have to keep living with him. This is going to be so awkward. <laughs> Mate, thanks so much for being up for this. It's all about storytelling. That's what I love. My dream is to basically make a mashup of VH1 behind the music and book your own fucking life. I mean, I think you've you're got a great, you're a great start here. So. so there was the very lovely Ian Shelton from Military Gun their debut album life under the gun is out next friday cheers thank you for listening 
got a new episode coming on Thursday with Daisy, who you'll know from that absolute belter pressure cooker. Yeah, James Goodson on Thursday. Subscribe to the podcast to get notified when that comes out. Yeah, it's a good week for interesting new punk rock on 101 Part-Time Jobs. See you later on. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.